Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Serialites, thanks for joining us this week. It's me, your old pal, Dan Grimshay, welcoming you to Saturday Morning Serial. Uh, this week, we are very proud to announce and also very horrified to announce it is the 30th, yes, gasp, 30th anniversary of the release of Top Gun in theaters. That's right. It's been 30 years since Maverick Goose and all his wacky friends got up to adventures high in the sky, and we, wow, are now 30 years older. But listen, you can't let that take away from the fact that this pop culture touchstone that captured the imagination of moviegoers around the world is celebrating its 30th anniversary as Top Gun arrives already on digital HD from Paramount Home Media Distribution with loads of special features available digitally for the first time. This digital HD release also includes brand new interviews with Tom Cruise and producer Jerry Bruckheimer. And you might know him. He's still working a little bit, I think. It was all recorded back in 2016, this year, 30 years after Top Gun came out, in order to mark the anniversary. Relive the action-packed thrill ride and return to 1986 as Cruz and Bruckheimer share their memories of making the film and what it took to bring the story of an elite group of pilots competing to earn the title of Top Gun to the big screen. Hear the personal stories as they reminisce about the challenges they faced and share their thoughts on the film's enduring cultural impact. Plus, discover what might lie ahead for Maverick. Hint, hint, tease, tease. Top Gun was originally released May 16, 1986, and ultimately earned a worldwide box office of over $350 million, which is $1986, keep in mind, everybody. Tom Cruise is superb as the cocky but talented pilot Maverick, and Kelly McGillis sizzles as the civilian instructor who teaches him a few things you can't learn in a classroom. Featuring a sensational soundtrack featuring unforgettable songs including Berlin's Take My Breath Away and Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone. The film also stars Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards, Meg Ryan, and Michael Ironside. Oh, what's that? Michael Ironside? That's right, the one and only Michael Ironside, who you may remember we have talked to on the show before. What's that? You say you're not quite sure? You remember who he is? It's a little familiar. Who does he play? Is he that one guy? Well, yes. Yes, he is that one guy. As a matter of fact, here on the show, we have featured Mr. Michael Ironside, the established, esteemed actor, as one of our focuses on our That One Guy series. And instead of going into all the details of all the characters that he has played that you do remember, I guarantee you, why don't we take some time and flash back? Yeah, that's right. Let's all just brace ourselves for a repeat. I know, but still, this is Michael Ironside. And the reason we've got to do another encore presentation is because we're still hard at work in the studio with, believe it or not, a brand new, just recorded, fresh off the digital track, never before heard interview with Michael Ironside. Yes, that's right, a new one. Plus, we've got interviews with Sean Patrick Flannery. You remember him from Powder, Boondock Saints. He's also an accomplished author. We're going to talk about all of that. Uh, we've also got one with a new friend of the show, one of our Comic-Con buddies, uh, Mr. Glenn McIntosh. Not quite sure where you know that name. 
Trust me, you know it. He has been working with Industrial Light and Magic, that's ILM, who, well, let's say he was in charge of all the dinosaur effects in Jurassic World. So, kind of a big deal. <clears throat> and many more episodes, all leading up to our Comic-Con coverage this summer. And, ooh, boy, are we busy. I promise you, we're not trying to blow you off. But as long as we're going to be going back over Michael Ironside soon, let's brush up. Uh, as a matter of fact, without any ado. All right. All right, yeah. Uh, you guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Not exactly, but if it makes you feel better to pray. Please don't kill me. If you don't do your job, I'll shoot you. You get me. I'm not a tuxedo kind of guy. But, but you are some kind of spy. Yeah, I'm the real kind, not the tuxedo kind. Everyone fights, no one quits. I'm uploading the arming sequence codes for Grimm. Welcome to the Roughnecks. Ratchet, Roughnecks! <laughs> I I know that voice. I know uh, that, that voice. That voice, yeah. Well, well, it, yeah. That that last one was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, I know, but I know that line. That's right. And I know who he's talking to. That's right. And he's that one guy. That one guy. I'm glad you put it like that because you know who he was talking to was Richter, and who he is played by is Mr. Michael Ironside. Oh, and yes, yeah. he. He, Michael Ironside is uh, awfully fitting. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Since uh, I want to try something, uh, I want to try something new this uh, the show, Mark. Uh-huh. I want to go with a, a, a theme, uh-huh. which is, and you said it right, that one guy. That one guy. That one guy. When I say that, I mean you know all the movies that we watched growing up. Me, you, all the other serialites out there listening. Who you know? Once we were just getting a little too old for cartoons, mm-hmm. uh, still too young to get into rated R movies in the theater. But we were anyway. But we still got to see them on cable at our friend's yeah. house, or when our parents rented them, and then they went to work. Yeah. We still got to see, uh, you know, when we were growing up, all these movies with you know Tom Cruise, Arnold Schwarzenegger, all the big stars of the eighties. But all of those movies had someone else starring in them as, as well, you know. Yeah. They were they always had, you know, that one guy. That one guy. That one guy. That one guy. That one guy from that, that movie, you remember? And that one guy shows up in many uh, awesome, amazing parts uh, <laughs> in these awesome, amazing yeah. movies. For for yeah. all of those movies that you watched as a kid on HBO so that we can appreciate some of the background players, some right. of the supporting actors who have been so important in such pivotal roles in some of these movies that helped raise us as kids, especially now that Arnold Schwarzenegger is kind of washed up, Tom Cruise is a crazy person. Val Kilmer's a big bat. Yeah, Macy's <laughs> blimp at this point. It's, there's there's a lot of appreciation, I think, to be had when we start to remember the uh, the guys who played right next to him. Not It's the guys that were like, I saw him in this. 
Yeah. He was the guy oh, in the. Was he? Uh, he was he he wasn't the main bad guy in Die Hard, but he had a gun. Yeah, he, he was, was you know stuff like that. Who are those guys? Exactly. Well, here in Maddie P's presents Saturday morning cereal. Marky and myself, Grimshay, we're here on a mission to help remind you and to help celebrate them. And this week we could think of no better person to nope. bring it all out with, but Michael Irons. Absolutely, what a fucking awesome tough guy. Yep. But if you just walk up to some strangers on the street and say his name, they're they're more than likely not going to know who you're talking about. But give them a picture, yep. point out a scene, offer a line, not even one that they said, like how Schwarzenegger, everybody knows, see you at the party, Richter. Yeah. And so when I say to you, hey, hey, buddy, you know who Michael Ironside is? No. You go, no. If I say, hey, I'll see you at the party, who's Richter? They're like, oh, oh my that, that one guy. That one guy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I want to celebrate because these, it, 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 they're, they're so good quite often. And let's hope that this is the first of many. Oh. I mean, this... oh, I would just like to just get through this one. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah me I mean, too. But me too. Oh, this is this guy. This Yeah, that one guy. Remember that guy? Well, this week, uh, this episode devoted entirely to basically a big love letter. To the guy who got second billing in so many of those movies that helped raise us, Mr. Michael Ironside. You know, so... He's that one guy from V. He's that one guy from Total Recall. He's that one guy from Top Gun. You know, uh, that one guy from The Next Karate Kid. <laughs> He's that one guy from uh, X-Men First Class. He's... That one guy who does the voice for Darkseid on Justice League. He's the one guy from Smallville. He's that one guy from Starship Troopers. He's the one guy from Criminal Minds. No, he's he's that one guy from Law and Order. Uh, no, no, he's the one guy from Terminator Salvation. Oh, he's he's okay. Okay, I think we get the idea because you can play this game for days with Michael Ironside. Exactly. This guy, uh, it's fitting that we start with him because... I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm going to go backwards, just backwards. He was just in an episode of Community. Mm -hmm. um, I remember him from, oh, that <laughs> out of nowhere, really cool movie we just saw, uh, Extraterrestrial. Extraterrestrial. Right. 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 Yep. Uh, it was, was one of the he, he's scene stealer in that. Absolutely. Um, off the top of my head, he was in, oh, he played Lois Lane's father. General Lane in Smallville in like the in the series. Oh, he was like yeah. in three or four of those episodes. And hell, that's Superman canon. At that's Superman. Point. He's he's Superman. Oh, he canon. He, uh, he does the voice of Darkseid. Yeah, he played Darkseid, which mm -hmm. is believe me, uh, not only an, an iconic comic character, but you can hear Darkseid's voice when you're reading the comics and. Mm. It might as well sound like Michael Ironside. Hell, his his uh he, his, his voice is his in, voice is in Splinter uh, Cell. Splinter Cell. He, in, in fairness, that's probably the only time he's actually a leading man across several <laughs> yeah. like blockbuster, top-selling, genre-defining video games, uh, in which you hear a lot more of his dialogue than you hear of anybody in any movie because it lasts hours and hours and it's so repetitive and he's still cool in that. And it's, you know what, and it's, I have no idea off the top of my head, but 
maybe Splinter Cell has grossed more than any movie he's ever been in. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I don't it's know. It's pulled in probably a few billion dollars <laughs> yeah. over yeah. the last decade or so. What, wasn't there like this uh, – wasn't he like replaced and there was like some like campaign to like bring him back or no, something? No, there's always going to be a campaign, but he was replaced. But <laughs> yeah. I think he was all right with it. We talked about it. I don't want to get into it uh-huh, right now, uh-huh. but trust me, working backwards. Uh, Splinter Cell? Right. Splinter Cell um, back in uh, the 2000s, if oh you remember God. those days. Yeah. Before that, uh, he was in uh, lots of TV and movie. Uh, 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 lots of uh, Starship movies. Troopers. Starship Troopers. He was the uh, the kick-ass with uh, the me- sergeant with, with the, the metal with hand, the metal arm. Yeah. yeah. Save their asses. He was uh, uh, things like Top Gun. Oh, uh, little thing was, like Top Gun. Yeah, little thing like a little movie. Total Recall. Total Recall. Uh, and then. He's, but he's never been, aside from possibly, as I mentioned, uh, Splinter Cell franchise, he's never been the leading man. But trust me, you know this guy. If you don't get it from us describing him already, Jester from Top Gun, Richter from Total Recall. Leading into what memory was of him, and really one of my first memories of television and science fiction, he played... Uh, mm-hmm. Tyler, I believe, was his name in the original miniseries, later series, V. Oh, V. Ugh, yeah. The miniseries. Like, yeah, like on TV. Like yes. Early 80s. Uh, early, maybe 82, 83. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. this show was iconic. They tried to bring it back about five years ago, and as a deep, passionate fan of the original series, uh, the new one was just complete garbage. Just complete I tried crap. to. I tried to. Marina Baccarin, who is from Firefly, yeah. is in it. Um, Sarah Vanderroot, who played Supergirl in Smallville, is in it. And she's one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen in my life. They are both of these women are so beautiful. I and tried to in give it as many chances and as possible it is too, for total many reasons. It garbage. But the original you know, was so good. It was so good, but and the, ori- the the reason why this new one sucks so bad is because they did not honor the original. Mm-hmm. There was not even a character that came anywhere close to the persona and the position of Michael Ironside yeah. in the original series. And Nobody, Tyler, the scoundrel who ended up being right. the savior. I mean, stuff. Still, not even. The leading man, fucking Mark Singer. <laughs> Where's he? The pretty but boy. Michael Ironside is still doing movies. He was the badass in that series. He was the guy, for all of you guys out there that are too young to remember V, for all of you out there that are too old to remember, <laughs> I use that differently there, <laughs> but uh, if you guys if you guys don't know this, he played the part of the mercenary arms dealer, um, scoundrel, criminal, you know, yeah. part. Um, but he's the guy that you want when it comes to any kind of apocalypse, be it nuclear, alien, zombie, whatever. Yeah. The the ultimate friend in need this kind of is scenario the guy. where you want him in jail right up until you, you want him, him on your you. side. Yeah. You know, this is the guy that when shit goes down, Major. you and, want him. And he was totally at home in that role and really owned it as a tough guy who seemed just trustworthy enough but never vulnerable. And this was something he carried over. I mean, when he did Top Gun, when he was Jester, 
you picture when I say Jester and Top Gun, you know, I hope you listening mm-hmm. at home, that's what was written on the top of his flight helmet. Yep, yep. That was his flight name. Yeah. And he was the call teacher. Sign. His his call sign. Yeah. yeah. His nom de pleur. Although <laughs> yeah. if if he were here in the room and heard me say nom de pleur, he'd probably punch me. He would. He would definitely punch you. But you know he he played. Um, if you if you look at the the brevity of his role, you know, mm. in, in in these different films that we all can kind of remember him in, he does tend to play the tough motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's not always the same role in the context of the story that they're trying to promote. He's not always the tough motherfucker that's the bad guy. Yeah. Right. Sometimes they never get him for the shallow exactly. tough guy roles. They get him for the deeper but underappreciated right. shattered part. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In V, he was the tough guy that you wanted on your side, right? Yep. In what was the next one that we saw him in? In uh, um, let's say Top Gun. I in think Top was the Gun, next one he was it. he was the tough guy who, who was the mentor, who was mm-hmm. the herald. You know, he was the guy that was going to take the main character and move him along. He's the one who, in War Games, killed Tom Cruise, but only so that he had the chance to tell him with meaning. You never leave your wingman. Oh, my God. That, and if leave, that didn't help define uh, your childhood, that line right you there, never, then ever, you probably don't know why you're listening to this. Every time that you hear that phrase in popular culture, which I, I probably heard it two or three times this year, you never, ever leave your wingman. Yep. You want to know who says that? Michael Ironside. That's Michael and Ironside right there. Ironside. So you know what? You're listening to an IMDb deep cut right now, <laughs> and you never leave your wing. Can we just play that again? Where that little that the, little what? Clip? Play this. That was some of the best flying I've seen yet. Right up to the part where you got killed. You never, never leave your wing. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> Michael Ironside. That thing is. That's Jester. That's but Jester. and you know what? That's uh, that's. Uh, like a sympathetic tough guy role, the, which is great because about a year later or so, if I remember my childhood right, Total Recall comes the, out. There is Richter. nothing good about this guy at all. Mm-mm. Richter is pure Mm-mm. bad guy. Not the flat. And I know a lot of you at home, and maybe one day we'll do a Kurtwood Smith. I, I would love cut, that. Just but a lot of people are going to con- you know, uh, confuse him. With I think almost that same year's uh, similar antagonist role in RoboCop, played by Kurtwood Smith. But the guy, the guy was evil, without with still having a vulnerability, a breaking point. Whereas your Ronnie Cox from RoboCop, or no, your uh, that's that's more of like a bureaucratic, money hungry kind of evil. Yeah, he's. He's right. the last boss in the video exactly. game. Exactly. The one beforehand that you fight most of the movie, that's the Michael Ironside kind of he he kind of established that role, I think, in Total Recall. And you saw it used yeah. so many times in Die Hard. It was it the was... fucking Russian ballet dancer yeah. who Hans. wouldn't even no, no, Hans. Uh, choke to death on God, the chain. It was, but there it was just a common thread of that second tier bad guy. And I think uh, it was very well established by Michael Ironside in Total Recall with Rick there. Yeah, oh, well, absolutely. That was the second-tier bad guy. You fight the whole time. You get rid of him. Now you just got to shoot a, uh, an old man. Now, for anybody here that wants to point to the new Colin Farrell one, 
Okay. I mean, it's that's a fine movie. It's good. Uh, based on its own merits, it's a fine movie. I'm not going to say anything bad about it. But for those of you that don't remember, uh, and if you can't bear it nowadays, it, it, it's a little aged. It is. Okay. If you uh, didn't is. watch it as a kid, right. if you're a kid right now, don't watch it. But anybody right now that, that can hear my voice, <laughs> right, when the words... See you at the party, Richter. Come when you hear that, and Arnold throws a pair of severed arms over the ledge <laughs> yeah. down the empty elevator right, shaft, right towards the poor man's body. When he says, "See you at the party, Richter," Richter is Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside. That is the role and the position. <laughs> That that is the role and the position that this man fills in our minds. Those of mm-hmm. us that grew up, and I think that was Saturday morning one. cartoons, right? The, no. We are the last generation. generation. Of as soon as we were just a little too old to watch the cartoons, and we're just a little too young to get away, technically with watching rated R movies, but they came in <laughs> but, VHS oh, form we rented them. by yep. our parents. That was that was it, that was and that it. and in my opinion, it was either Michael Ironside right then who invented the second tier bad guy, yeah. or it was uh, like I mentioned, Kurtwood Smith and RoboCop. Yeah, we might even have to look it up to see which movie came out first. I think you might even be confused because Brian Cox is the main guy in both those movies. He's uh, the guy in RoboCop. Ronnie and, Cox. Oh, Ronnie Cox. I'm sorry. Brian yeah. Cox. Yeah, Ronnie Cox. And right. I'm not even sure if it was Ronnie, but it was the exact, like, the same hair, the same makeup, guy. and role. Yeah. But, yeah, who had a second-tier identical bad guy yeah. right below him. And we might have to look up who it is. probably Shakespeare who first invented that with Iago or whatever. But in my mind, <laughs> the 80s action about. movies, you had the main good guy and the main bad guy up until Total Recall when you had Michael Ironside as the uh, – the enforcer. The enforcer. That's mm-hmm. that's the position right there. He, you know, which, in Star Wars terms, that's the Darth Vader. You know, like he's the guy that you have to get through to get to the main guy, and he's really your final test. Like, mm-hmm. are you ready to face the bad guy? Are you ready to get there? Well, you have to beat this one first. Like, this is the this is your final step, your final test. If you can mm-hmm. get past this guy. Then you can take the big guy on. Yep, and and, and that he plays that role. That's the role that he was relegated to, and it turns out he's been able to work a lot longer than some of the leading men from the '80s. I haven't seen Mark Singer. Uh, I think he spells it incorrectly with a C. But anyway, other than that, <laughs> he seems like a pretty nice guy. You know, yeah. how and, about Val Kilmer? Oh, I mean, you, you know. can kind of see him from here. <laughs> yeah, he's just a big fat guy now. No, I'm kidding. No, I, I love Val Kilmer I too, love him but too. I, I understand he's nuts and fat. I think so. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, Tom Cruise is crazy now. Tom Cruise is crazy. He's still getting a lot of money. But, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, but uh, he's the guy that has survived. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from what I recently heard, wink, wink, he's mm-hmm. Canadian, too. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> don't he, you know, is, he is not just Canadian. He's Canuck. He's very Canuck. <laughs> and I didn't notice till I, uh, well, uh, not to spoil anything for a few minutes from now, but I did talk to him. I know that. I had a chance to speak with him. And since I did, and he was just using his normal speaking voice, which, don't get me wrong, is still pretty tough. Yeah. But now it's kind of like tough. You know? <laughs> He's a tough guy. 
But, I imagine but him saying ever that. since that interview, now I've gone back and I've watched him in a few of these roles just uh, just in the course of a couple of weeks. And uh, uh, he, his Canadian accent comes out more than you realize. Well, he's just too strong to uh, to let it on usually. But let me let me tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, in my recent uh, research with him as well, I was kind of hearing that now. In, in my, you know, in my mind's eye, that's not what comes out. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's nothing but just iconic images of this man, uh, and how completely and totally jealous I am that you got to talk to him and mm-hmm. not me. Mm-hmm. You know, I am just I am broken inside, and you know, I feel also very grateful because. There are few people in this world that I would be speechless with, you know. Uh, when I met Mark Hamill, I was very speechless, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but it, right with them, you know, is would be Michael Ironside. What do I say, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to begin to explain just my uh, deep-rooted, utter appreciation and love for this man's career and the position that he uh, uh, fills in my mind. And yet it's it would be kind of weird to express that to other people Especially, without first explaining who he is. I, because you, know, you name a couple of roles he's played, people are going to be, oh, yeah, I, know oh, yeah, I remember mean. him from that one. But sometimes, it, you know, if you're not talking to the right person, they're like, why do you like him so much? He was just a bad guy in a bunch of movies or something like yeah. that. And they don't really get how important he is, how present he was in the whole tapestry of entertainment of us growing up that we kind of clung to the uh i i don't know if there's if, if there will ever be anyone that's like has such visual facial recognition right like you you could ask anybody on anyone on the streets uh do you know who michael ironside is and they're gonna they're gonna go i don't know, I don't know. you know you show them a picture they're gonna go, oh yeah that's the guy from Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the guy from. So, you know, that's the position that he plays. But all of us, uh, especially in, you know, what ends up being now the Saturday morning cereal culture, you know, mm-hmm. the pop culture of today, we all kind of grew up in the era where Michael Ironside, were, were, he was a, a, a integral part of these iconic imagery, uh, of, of these iconic films, and he's still with us now. No. You know, like he still he was present in the background in so many of what I guess I would call my babysitting sessions growing up. <laughs> yeah, maybe that so. he kind of deserves a little credit for helping raise me. Yeah, even if it was just the tough guy in the corner, I was scared to death of. He he was also um, he's and let's not uh, dis discredit the the power of the technology of the time as well. Mm-hmm. Chances are Michael Ironside is on an old VHS recordable cassette that might be in your mom's yeah. you know attic right now. Yeah, you live in a part of the country that has an attic? Yeah. Go up there. Is this you up live there? in a part that has a basement? Go down, <laughs> Go there. down there. I bet you'll find <laughs> a tape him on one of those VHS tapes that and your parents bought at some point. Or that we recorded off a cable or whatever. But the point is we watched him. In I've seen Total Recall probably 50 times, yep. you know? I saw Top Gun just as many times. So he's a part of, uh, he's a, he is a part of that culture on, on its own, but he's also a part of, he's also a product of the times. 
where yeah. he's, he's in a median that we had to consume over and over and over again. We could not turn on the Internet and get something new. We had to go in our own library and pull out that VHS yeah. that we had of Top Gun and, and he, watch it and over he would have been again. in a lot of those. A lot yeah. of them, yeah. I mean, he was—he was, he was just—he's just so important to that. And he's still working today. So hats off to him. There are there are some of those from the old days who, who aren't, uh, so much employed anymore, yeah. even if they're still around and kicking. But uh, Michael Ironside, uh, when I got to talk to him, I was just impressed at what a professional like actor he was. And um, I got to be honest with you here, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to blow smoke up the guy's ass or anything, but he was an awesome interview because it's, I just happened to mention that I remembered him as being the voice of Sam Fisher uh-huh. in uh, uh, Splinter Cell. In Splinter Cell, and immediately before he even like we must have gotten a few minutes in before he was like, "Oh wait, are we recording this? Is the interview going?" Really? Before he even got there, he was just like, "Oh, let me tell you about that. That was a great." And he talked about it. Completely as someone who knows nothing about playing video games, but knows everything about being an actor, and how he basically helped rewrite the script and establish this character. But anyway, I feel like I've made us all wait long enough. Do you want to hear me talk to my man, my main man, (sighs) Michael Ironside? Are you ready, Marky? We 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 might as well just get this done. That's that's probably exactly what he said before he answered the phone. All right, take us away, Magic Interview Machine, and give me a little bit of Michael Ironside. Meanwhile, is this is this a little better? Yeah, you're just dropping out just a little bit, but that's okay. All right. Well, it's it's been a lifelong pattern of mine, actually. And what's your name again? Uh, Grim Shea. It's a uh, Grim Shea. My God, that's a, that's a handle to live up to. <laughs> it is, it is. I fail, I fail all the time at it. Uh, I, 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 uh, I want to thank you for talking with us today. I am a huge fan, uh, and I think I speak for a lot of our listeners when I say that uh, you know a, a lot of the roles that you've played uh, have. You, you, you were in almost all the movies that I taped on VHS growing up and watched until the tape just completely broke. So you're what, 48, 50? <laughs> not quite, not quite. Don't give yourself that many years. No, this how old is, uh, are you? Uh, 37, actually. 37? 37. Really? I have to you. Well, I remember, I mean, you were, you were Jester in Top Gun and Richter in Total Recall and you have you've definitely been a part a big part of the uh the entertainment tapestry that I grew up in front of and I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Um and and even beyond that, I you, when you uh when you were uh Sam Fisher in the Splinter Cell games, I think you were the first uh foray into getting like a a, a high-powered quality star to play a serialized character in a video game. And yeah, and I loved that. it. I had all of them. Yeah, also, I think it was the first time we ever really flushed out a character in a story. When I, are, do, you, do you want to start the interview now? or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all taped, so uh, say whatever you like. I'll try not to keep you too long. We'll get to everything we need to. But, yeah, I'd love to hear your take on that. Oh, when that was sent to me, I had, I'm not a gamer. I, 
I wasn't then, I am, I'm not now. When it was first sent to me quite a few years ago, I had no idea. I thought it was like Pong or something that they wanted me to narrate. And they sent a fairly substantial check, and I said, absolutely. My wife went out and bought it. When I bought an SUV, and and then they sent me the script over, and it was this very shallow two-dimensional script and character who was going around slaughtering people and saying guttural things about them. And I said, no, I'm not going to do this. And uh, and they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, it's not based on any kind of reality. Uh, the character is very shallow. It's uh, not humanistic. Um, it's written to accommodate your technology, not to, you know, the technology really should accommodate the character to some extent. So they said, well, we, would you rethink it and sit down? So I sat down and helped them restructure some of the development of the character. And look, I'm well aware that it's a, it was a video game and stuff and that the parameters, but they, the parameters that we're giving for the character were not a great deal of their concern. But without that, I don't think the game could be a success, I said. So I guess I ended up with about 20, 25% of the input into the actual structure of the game to create a person who has some kind of an emotional history and some kind of an, um, a storyline and humanity or absence of humanity in places that makes him identifiable to people. And it seemed to work because it was the first game that I think had done that or even, and I got to take, give kudos and hats off to the, the five guys that own Ubisoft, that uh, that was a big risk of theirs. They had a way of doing things that was, that was pretty well proven to work for them within a limited scale of, of success and stuff. And to, to step out on a limb and, and create this kind of dramatic kind of situation and a game with it involved was, 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 it was uh, a risk, not only financial, but a brand risk for them. And it, it, thank God it paid off. Oh, but, and it, uh, yeah, it really paid off. really did. It was quite wonderful to watch that. Especially, and also, I, voice actors had been used to stepping into booths, I think, and doing these, these kind of jobs by themselves. And on the first two, um, I had them bring in an acting director kind of coach, this fellow named Sean, I don't want to embarrass him with his last name, but he came in and oversaw, uh, hell, Sean Stanek came in and he oversaw the uh, the first two couple of games and, and he was very deft at, um, at storytelling and I also had them bring in the actors so that we could interact with each other so we're not just working in a, in a kind of a vacuum until we got our characters established over those first two games because they were split, I think, by about three years. And that seemed to work. That way of working seemed to work. It made it more organic and more successful. But uh, oh, that all that really comes through too. It, and, and I and I told them, I said, you can't. You really, if you're going to get into the arts and you're going to get into the creation of humanity and try and involve some kind of humanity in this electronic kind of uh, exercise that you have here, you better get some people who are good at it. And you know, and and they listened to their credit. You know, and that's and I really mean that. I'm not trying to kiss their ass or anything like that. It's, it really means something that, you know, when you've got a way of doing things that's safe and it's predictable, and somebody comes in with an idea that, you know, that makes sense, but it's frightening, and they they were they were willing to take that risk. You know, that's well, it it see, I, I see. I had no idea that that so much of that credit should go to you, but I, now that you explain it, that well, actually makes perfect credit. sense. I, I mean, they. The, you you weren't dealing with uh with with actual casting directors and people who've been in theater or anything. These are video game these are, guys. These, 
these are mostly people who are, um, there's a certain antisocial element to, I think, gamers and gaming and, and, to the, and at that time uh, to the kind of personality, it was not your raw, raw, system Bob, crowd-pleasing guy. It was usually somebody who, who uh, was almost masturbatory, if that's a, there is such a word. And now it isn't. Now, I remember when the first game came out, I was on a Swiss Air to, um, I think I was going to Paris or someplace, and I ordered a cup of tea, I was, and I said, can I get a cup of tea? And then all of a sudden, I said, I looked up, and there was this guy standing in a kind of like a vest and an open shirt with his tie undone, and said, Sam, Sam Fisher. And I said, no, no, I'm Michael. And I went, oh, wait a second. Yeah, I guess I am Sam Fisher. <laughs> and he was not your stereotypical gamer. He was a man flying first class to Paris and was an executive and used the game as a bridge between him and his son. And when this, oh. and they... And when the game came, the second games come out, and the third games where they were, then they started um, being interactive with other people, more than one player, and they had your, you know, your chat boxes on the side. They became kind of a global phenomenon for people to actually communicate while they're playing. So, you know, I yeah. remember I was talking. I was in, jo I was in um, Johannesburg working on a film, and a guy came up and said, "Yeah, I was." playing your game and talking to somebody over in uh, Vancouver and another guy was in Melbourne. We were all playing, and he tasked us about the food riots in Johannesburg that he'd had on the news. And I told him, it's bullshit. There was only six people that did the food stamps, and they bust them to another place. So these guys were actually using it to circumvent kind of the controlling of news media and stuff. Uh -huh. there's a whole, you know what I mean? It became a, a, there's a community around gaming that they basically tell each other the truth, and you can... If you hear a story, you can call some one of your gaming friends up on, be, you know, pull them up on the chat box and say, "What's going on in Beijing? What's going on in Melbourne? Is this true?" So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of. Uh, the, thanks to the technology that finally came along, there was that antisocial edge to gaming when you would just sit alone right, in it, your house and game, and then it turned into like an alternative kind of sociality. Become, it's gone from and being antisocial on a physical level of not being able to find your ilk with a, you know with a crowd to being a, quite a community now, which is, uh, I, I like that. You know what I mean? I think we, it's too, it, life's too short to not be plugged in somewhere and in communication with somebody or some, you know, some at, on some level of society where you can take your problems or ask for information. Uh, if we don't have that, we end up sort of like packing on ammunition and walking on to, you know, <laughs> mall places, you know. Yeah. Well, the... The I I think the Splinter Cell games deserve a lot of credit for that because they 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 were the first was, of their they kind. came out during a time when a lot of games no matter how good they were either they got lucky and succeeded and got a sequel or they were forgotten about in a few weeks and I think yeah, your actual yeah. character helped keep that that franchise going until we have what we have today. Well, I know that Ubisoft's stock went from three thirty-five to I think seventeen fifty in like eighteen months, and then split twice since then. So, uh, oh, you deserve more than just one SUV for the wife for that. <laughs> well, thank you. No, I just I'm just grateful to be working. I really am. Oh, what else well, you want? yeah. Well, I guess, I guess we should we should probably talk about extraterrestrial while while I got you on the line. Uh, I just saw a screener last night. I know you're out in New York, uh, getting ready to do another screening for the Comic Con. Yeah, they're doing the, we're doing a Comic Con screening tonight. Yeah, then we'll do a chat I, question afterwards. 
Well, I, I expect you are going to get a lot of appreciation at that because you're, uh, you're, it's, it's more than a cameo, but you're not one of the lead characters. But, my God, by the I, end of it, yeah, I really wish you had been in it more. You are amazing, and I love what you did with what otherwise is a pretty flat kind of character trope. Well, Travis, the character is kind of interesting. He's he's got to be representative of all that generation before them because it's it's a bunch of young people out in the woods, kind of sci-fi slasher, uh, murder mystery, all in the same world into one. And he has to represent that whole generation that's in ahead of these kids. So he's you know, and he's a Vietnam vet and all these other things, but. He has to, you know, he basically, and then you got law enforcement being, you know, represented, you know, <laughs> by Gil Bellows like that and Sean Rogerson. And, and so there, there's, there's, it's kind of a multifaceted um, obligation and job in playing that character. I remember when I, re- I read the script and I read through it twice because I didn't believe it was good as it was the first time. And, uh, and I liked it. And then I met the, the, I met the boys. I met Colin and Stuart, the Vicious Brothers. And, uh, Asked them some questions, and they weren't in any kind of competition with each other. They were, they sort of talked openly in front of me about something. They said, "Yeah, well, that," and they answered my questions. And it was interesting to watch two people that were in that much sympathetical with each other, uh, that were in basically a position. It's usually a mono position, you know, the the tribal leader. And uh, so I sort of said, "Yeah, let's try this." You know, uh, characters concise. The writing's good. The, the storytelling element that's in the hands of the directors seem to be in deft hands, and it turned out to be a wonderful. I'm not. I don't usually do. I don't usually do these sort of things, but uh, I like the outcome of this film. I saw a fine cut without most of the special effects on it about four or five months ago, and I was very pleasant pleased. And I got to tell you, without I don't kiss too many people's asses or anything like that, but Brittany Allen I think is wonderful. From the moment I met her and started working with her, uh, she's one of those actresses that is available. It's almost like, you know, it's like playing, I used to use an analogy of playing tennis, you know, you hit the ball and you got to go get it and hit it back to yourself. And some people lob, you know, you hit the ball to them and they lob it right back into the, you know, the netting. And with Brittany, she's, she, she had all her tools. Her tool set is wonderful. The way she works is wonderful. She's there 100%. Um, you know, she's a professional um, and she's an absolute delight to work with. You know, it was a, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience working with her. Yeah, and that and that's a good thing because uh, I I was just talking She's to good. her and the Vicious Brothers, and I think she is in just about every frame of that movie. Oh. I mean, she had yeah, a she lot is. on her shoulders there. Oh, she had a huge workload on her shoulders, and and it's it's not easy in playing a lead. A lot of times, you're kind of like the wall on the handball court. You know, the the character actors come in and bounce the balls off you, and you probably get two or three moments. You got to be very careful that you don't sort of uh, blow your load in every scene because that can become monotonous. You know, and she kept from what I saw that fine cut. I saw that she kept this wonderful. Innocence and honesty and emotional kind of credibility through the whole project. It's such a difficult role. And I'm, I came away an absolute fan. I just saw her. I hadn't seen her in about six months. I just saw her um, coming up in the elevator for these interviews. And uh, and I just I lit up like a Christmas tree. It's so great to be around. <laughs> you know, I, I really I see great things in the future for her. She's such a good actress. Uh, yeah, well, she's already got uh, an Emmy under her belt at a young age, which is certainly right? not a bad start. And no. the work that, yeah, she got a, I think, a daytime Emmy, but still, to get an Emmy is not an easy feat. 
And then to carry a movie like this, she's a, she's amazing. I am going to keep my eye did, on her for like, sure. You like, did you like what you saw in the film? Oh, I did, very much. And what, what impressed me so much was that, and I asked them exactly what the budget was, and when they said $3 million, I was floored. I mean, it yeah, was not aware a bit of $30, $50 million up on that screen. You know, they put a lot, well, they worked very well. Um, a lot of us knew that there was not a lot of money up front. Most of it was going to go into special effects and stuff like that. But it starts with the story. It all starts with the story, and then it goes to the storyteller. The story was good, you know, and I thought they're at least competent, so that, you know, because I knew it was like their first or second time out. And they turned out to be more than competent. They enjoyed things. They enjoyed no. They knew when to let go and say, "Could you try something?" And then go, "Wow, that works." And uh, or they'd say, "No, we need it over here. We need to pull it in here." And it was, you know. And I felt very safe with their direction. I didn't feel like I was being misled. Which uh, it it their 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 skill is it's difficult. To, to explain, I was thinking about it ever since I finished the movie last night, but they, it's almost like they came up with just some very stereotypical, flat kind of characters and ideas, but then they built straight up from there so that when you see the movie, it's an actual story and the characters seem like actual people. They're not just throwaways. Yeah, there everybody, is, there is, everybody behaves took, so well. Yeah, they took a formulaic way of doing things and upgraded it. You know, you know, they bought a Chevy Malibu and turned it into a Cadillac. And uh, <laughs> exactly, well put. And it, it really is. I really, I was more than pleasantly surprised. I knew the very first day on set and stuff like that. To the, when I looked at the camera and positions and how they were giving everyone everything a certain amount of conscious uh, detail and weren't allowing themselves to be rushed over something. And and I thought making the right choices and coverage that I'd seen before. And uh, and from I. Probably within two hours of being on set, I totally relaxed and was completely putty in their hands. You know. Well, if you've got people who are who are talented like that and can work with what they're given and turn it into something so much so much more than the sum of its parts, yeah. that's great. And they they work with so many genres and they manage to pull them all off, uh, including very good in the sci-fi, which which I'm a fan of, which which really does sell. And then you add that great horror element, kind of the slasher film, just in time for Halloween, too. They're, they're no fools. But, well, um, it's not a matter it did... I think they're, they're, they're excellent storytellers. It's all, you know, the old idea is that sci-fi is just westerns in a different, with a different setup, you know, and it's so true. You know, it's, uh, they're good storytellers. They're really good storytellers. Well, I, I, it got me thinking, especially when I, was, when I realized I was going to get to talk to you, it reminded me of like uh, you. You probably remember this, and I know anyone anyone who thinks like I do will remember this. But that old show V from from oh, the eighties, yeah, that was 80s. where they had to do it very rushed with a very limited budget. But they had this epic grand scale, you know, alien invasion idea. And the older I yeah, get, the more Bob, I look back and really appreciate was, the actual story. Yeah, but that was Bob. Bob, um, Dan Blatt and Bob Singer, the producers on that, they had a very specific way of producing that show, and they knew that if they compromised the scope of that story, it would kill it. Do you know the V was originally uh, structured to be a miniseries, as if what happened if the United States had not gotten into the Second World War and the Nazis had won in Europe and took over Europe? 
and the networks evidently looked at it and said, we can't do this, because it was that whole idea of North America being isolated by the water and Europe and Eurasia being taken over by a super right wing. So he went back and he sort of said, well, what can I do? And he turned the Nazis into aliens and he turned, you know what I mean, and found a way of segmenting the world and dealt with that kind of political element of the story, which I thought was wonderful. Yeah, so. I and that's something that when I was a kid watching with my mom, I didn't pick up on. But now, and I've I've gone back and I've watched it a couple of times, uh, at least most of the series, and just I, the the parallels are right there. I mean, even like yeah. the, with the, the the third column and stuff, like absolutely, they, they weren't trying to hide it; they were just presenting it so well. And he went, yeah, and, and of course he took the ball. And once they said yes, he just took the ball and ran with it. And uh, you know, it, and it's. I was aware of it right from the beginning that it was a political, you know, and I went, wait a second, these uniforms and the attitude and the idea of aliens and internment camps and, you know, the intellectuals and science and stuff. So it, I, I was very aware of it having a political kind of scope to it and was, you know, and it was way before its time. Um, it got crushed after, it, I think it was its 12th or 13th show. The head of the studio at the time, nor the head of the network at the time, was having a problem with Dan Blatt and Bob. And I think they they pulled the plug on the show when they thought they had enough to get it into syndication if they chopped up the miniseries. Uh, evidently, they came up a couple hours short. And so there was a personality clash between the the head of the network at that time and, and the producers. But uh, I'm glad it got made. You know, it was... Uh, it seemed to open a door for a lot of other things to take risks. Yeah, and and it, and, and just just the way that it, it had that scope. And I don't think in TV people were doing things with that kind of vision, you know. Or at least I I don't look back and remember anything like that that I loved so much as a kid, and I didn't know two thirds of what was going on on the screen. And I can go back and watch it again, and it doesn't have to be a blockbuster. I don't have to be watching Jurassic Park or something. You know, it's also interesting, I was just thinking that my wife and I just celebrated 28 years of marriage and 30 years together. Um, this oh, congratulations. Month. Thank you very much. And, um, and a lot of it goes to her, too. We're very much a team. But my very first day on V, I was from Canada, and I was down here doing this show for the first time. I had done JoJo. No, what did I do? I did, uh, I think, an A-team episode and something else in Till Street Blues. And then this thing, um, Dan Black called the agency. Said we didn't. We have been trying to get a hold of Ironside for like uh, eight months now. Where is he? You know, because I was in Canada, based out of Canada. They sent me over. And the very first day at work, I met my partner, which was Chris Farber. And the show was played by Mickey Jones. And uh, he became my lifelong best friend, one of my best friends. He was best man at my wedding a year later, and. Uh, I just saw him last week, actually. He's in the hospital. He's about to get a kidney transplant, if they can find a right kidney match for him. So, But uh, there was a lot of good things happened on that show. A lot of good, good well, remember. The more I hear about it. Did you, just offhand, did, did you see the, the new one, the remake? I want, they actually, somebody called and wanted to know if I wouldn't want to do an episode of that, and I said, really not. Um, I don't want to go back and, and re-enter the, you know, re-establish that character on for a moment. Uh, Ham Tato was a very specific character. He originally was supposed to be in a wheelchair 
when they sent it over to me. Um, the writer had also written a film called Visiting Hours, um, and when he was the one that got and kind of approached me with the project, said, "Will you take a look at this V thing, the miniseries?" And uh, so we went off. And I said, well, I can't do it. I'm, my name's Ironside. The last thing I'm going to sit in is a wheelchair. And they said, well, could you think of restructuring it in some way? So we went off to Palm Springs for three or four days and came up with that kind of a character that can't give affection or accept affection because of his loss of his family and stuff and restructured the ham title. And we came back, and Dan Blatt and Bob Singer took one evening of reading, and they called us up and said, yeah, we'll go for it. Um, it's cool. Come on on board, you know. And uh, so I have a lot of fond memories about that because it was my first real introduction to American television and filmmaking, and it was a fairly smooth ride, you know. Uh, there was a few personalities on the show that were difficult to deal with, but uh, it was a good introduction because I was used to working on very independent, very small-budget films in Canada where everyone's essential, and on any given day, the craft service guy might be more important than the director, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And uh, so to walk, I, to be around any kind of um, eccentric or self-centered ego would have been difficult. So, And that show was a great introduction to American television for me. Oh, good, good. I think it was a great introduction uh, uh, for America to you, too. I know you had been doing like, I, I never saw the roles. Show. And... Yeah, I never saw the, re, the, the reissue of it. I heard that it got a, they, it got a little too much into the art. And, and the concept, and not enough into the story. Somebody told yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. That's I think if they had the exact opposite vision of of what they were able to do in the original series V, and oh, then really? they tried to front load it with a lot of visuals that they obviously couldn't afford, and then all the characters and situations just ended up coming out flat. Well, I gave, I did give it a chance. I was a big V fan. I tried as hard as I could for that show, but in the end, I just had to walk away. You gotta get. You gotta treat an audience with respect. You really do. An audience has to be treated with respect and be taught as an as a, a sensitive, intelligent entity. Um, and tell them if you're going to tell them a bedtime story, you better have your crap together, because you just can't flash, you know, teddy bears and, and, and unicorns at them and expect them to be satisfied. And I've no. I've watched that through. I, I mean, the most low budget uh, English productions and stuff that are strong in story and strong in character do well. And you watch Americans um, throw more money into it and some of that and try and reissue it or remake it or revisit it. And if they don't pay respects to story and character, it falls flat. Yep, and I think that is uh, the, the, the V remake is the best example you could give of that as well. So, so thank you first for being in the original, and thank you for saying no to helping with the, the remake. Oh, you're welcome. You were welcome. I was glad to have another job to go to. It was easy to say no, but uh, <laughs> you know, I am very fortunate I get offered a lot of things. Hey, Mark, it's Stephanie. So sorry to interrupt, but we have to wrap Oh, okay. that's all right. That's all right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Ironside. I really appreciate oh, talking I, to you again. Huge fan. I hope you got enough to work with there. I apologize. I seem to just go off in tangents. But. No, you, you cannot imagine how much I like that as, as an interviewer. Thank you for, for shouldering the burden and being interesting. Yeah, I don't want to blow too much smoke up anyone's ass, but I really do like this film. I don't come out and push and support things very often. But uh, I think these guys, the storytellers, and what they've done with the limited budget and limited story and, and, and resources and stuff have done a phenomenal job. It's not making excuses for the story. The story really works. 
And, uh, it and does, I, anyway. and they work every angle right with it. I can't wait That's to see it. when they actually get $50 million. I will be the first one in line for that movie. <laughs> well, we'll see. You take care. All right. Thank you very much. Hope to talk to you again, and uh, good luck at the screening. All right. That was Michael Ironside. He said a lot there. He did. I told you, man. That was like the uh, like the dream interview. It must be because he just uh, he's like uh, the guy. You just he's like a pawn. You just, you just drop the pebble, and then the the, the ripples. You know, just that's go, true. That's know, a like, beautiful metaphor. But that's really? actually as an interviewer, I have to say, <laughs> Marky, you kind of nailed it because all I did, I just mentioned Sam Fisher and how much I like that, and we had like. The stuff he had to say just about working on a video game yeah. in the infancy of video games, I had no idea I was about to stumble across a little treasure like that. Yeah, well, and, you know, I, I wrote a couple of just like one-word notes. Uh, one of them says professional. You know, like when I heard that that interview, this is a guy that you hand him a script, and, and it sounds like he, he probably gets scripts of, you know, designers, writers, whatever. And these are guys that are thinking in my wildest dreams, I wrote this part for a guy that's like Michael Ironside. Or I want him to sound like a Michael Ironside. And then yeah, all of a sudden at this point Michael in the Ironside landscape, right. Michael Ironside is himself. And he's available. And so these guys go and they approach him and they give him this. And this guy's like, oh, I know it's a video game, but we're trying to take it seriously, and here you go. And Michael Ironside looks at it, and he goes, he can somehow smell the potential here and yet have the balls to tell this guy, I need a story yeah, here. Let's redo this. Yeah, let's why don't we redo this? this? I'll do it, but this is come – come on, guy. Yeah. I mean, he obviously, he's a smart guy, and kind of, honestly, that, that – I, I, I'm a video game player. Gamers. Right? I'm, gamer. I'm, a gamer. I'm not a gamer, You're a but I'm a gamer. gamer. I'm a console gamer. So am I, though. But I played the shit out of a bunch of uh -huh. Splinter Cell games like years ago. Yeah. And I heard him, you know, whisper those things in the dark. Did when you sneak know? up behind a guy and break his neck? And did you know it was, it was him Michael before Ironside? you like, yes, looked I, it up? I yeah, knew you, that you, was. You, you know his voice. Yeah, and they brought it. And that video game franchise honestly did start a kind of thing where you could have mature games that featured the same character that wasn't Mario or yeah. Sonic. Where he wasn't like a mamma mia. When they started he actually know, had something the to ability say. to put uh, decent cutscenes yeah. and uh, and actual characters into mature games like Metal Gear Solid. You're right, right. And the main competitor in that field was Splinter Cell. Yeah. You had Snake or you had Sam Fisher and God damn it, Michael Ironside, Sam Fisher, and I thought that was a big deal. And apparently, as soon as I mentioned it, so did he. I know, I know. And that uh, was awesome. Just going back to your like memory of this whole thing, mm -hmm. when you when you popped in the game, did you know that you were in for a Michael Ironside experience? <sighs> Knowing it and being ready for it are such two <laughs> different things. Did you at did was there ever a point where you were like? playing this game or you're buying this game or in the process of selecting this game where you went, Michael Harrison's in this. Like, w when did that moment hit you? That, I think, was... Uh, that actually isn't a small part of it. 
Like, what do you mean? Like, this was big I news? I mean, because, no, it's like, okay, it's like, uh, you have to understand, this was 10, 12 years ago uh-huh. when these games started coming out. So when you would go out to pick out a game, it was a lot like going to Blockbuster to pick out a movie. Uh-huh. So you honestly did have a lot of weight on, hey, is this a big-name star in this? Oh, really? Is this? So when you get to games, let the very first Grand Theft, well, Grand Theft Auto 3 or whatever, when they had Michael Madden. finally had voices. Or uh, they had, Ray uh, uh Not even that. It was, uh, oh, was it? Uh, Richie from The Sopranos, uh, Michael Rappaport, and a couple, uh, uh, I don't know. Joe Pantoliano? Joe, Joe Pantoliano, Joey Pants, whatever the hell his name is. Yes, he was one of the voice actors when that was a big deal. It just took me a while. But to see. have actual celebrity, like actual actors play video game characters was a very groundbreaking thing in the early 2000s. And no franchise did it better than Sam Fisher and Splinter Cell. This was one of the top-selling games. This was Blockbuster. This was the Avengers in video games in 2003. And four and five. And whatever. Forever, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Sam Fisher, never die. Well, I was just just trying trying to just pipe into that moment when you're like, Oh my God! This is Michael Ironside in this. You know, I I do I like playing that that game where you're watching something or you're hearing something. It could be a Acura commercial, and you hear the voice, and you're like, "Who the hell is that? Who is that? I know that voice. I know that. I know that." It's just kind of deeply rooted into your heart, you know. Mm-hmm. And bam, you figure it out. And I was just kind of looking for that moment. You're like, "Oh, that's Michael fucking Ironside right there." Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I knew it ahead of time. Good. Sorry. Good for you. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. Because it, it mattered. It's recognition of a good man and a body of work that is well represented. The, the next thing that I remember uh, that I wrote down here was respect. Let's get into V a little bit. Uh, go for it. I know you don't. I look, uh, in my wildest dreams, our next show covers V in its, in its entirety, the whole thing. Nah, I'm nah. a huge, passionate fan of V, the series, the final battle, mm-hmm. and just because it exists, even that hunk of crap that was the remake recently. Mm-hmm. I watched every episode because I felt like I had to. Okay. Uh, this show um, really changed everything. And maybe it was just because I was at an age where anything I would have seen would have changed everything. Because TV was four channels back then. (laughs) You had to make up your mind. That's true. It wasn't Wheel of Fortune. It wasn't local news. (laughs) So probably that was the best thing on TV. It was like that or like Falcon Crest that, you know, that night, you know. Uh, You just, you have very little option, but still, you know, Star Wars culture, you know, like in that era, sci-fi and all that. And to make it to prime time yeah. in network with a special sci-fi event, it was a big deal. Right. And this man's in it. Uh, and according to this interview, they even brought it up. You should be in the next one. And he's very well aware of his position in it and mm-hmm. in its position in our culture now. Yeah. So he's very well aware of the stakes, and he just goes, 
Nah, it's all right. Nah. <laughs> Take a pass on it. <laughs> yeah, pass on it. Like you said, you know, it's a good thing of And I'm I know why. Yeah, Respect. Because the guys that made this last one, this remake, didn't respect the audience. Mm-hmm. And that I think that's exactly what he says. In yeah, the, in the, he said they that, didn't respect yeah. us. And when I'm watching this this remake, there were no tips of the hat, no Easter eggs, as I like to call them, mm-hmm. to those of us that recognize the source material and that would remember. You know, like drop a name. You know, have like give us little kernels of inside jokes. Inside See, I, baseball. I watched a, a whole lot of it at the beginning, too, like the whole yeah. first season or something. But, and I don't quite remember any tips of the hat, like you said. There's none. But I still feel like there must have been one or two, and maybe I just didn't pick up on them, and I wasn't a good viewer. But nonetheless, the only one. it did not work the way the other one did. The, the, the only, original was good. The only Easter egg they give you is well let me just change that there's two mm-hmm. one is the obvious where they pull their skin off and they're lizards oh okay but that that's a simple one egg, yeah. but they also do the eating of the canary eating of the bird oh. okay subtle but that's what we need we need more of that you know and i wanted more of that like there wasn't even you know a michael ironside character as realized by Michael Ironside. Mm. They didn't even do that, you know, and I know that they tried to bring him on or they, they attempted this, but that role needed to be filled and they just, they just didn't even, it just seemed like they didn't even attempt it. Um, just, they just completely got it wrong. Yeah. 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 I am, I, and listen, hey, you got to believe me when I say I am completely on board with yeah. bashing the new V because it was horrible. <laughs> and it didn't last anyway, so who gives a shit? Yeah. yeah. I mean, kind of thank God for that. Yeah. But, uh, Oh, it smelled from far out, and I kept giving it chances. Well, and in the, I do kind of still in the interview, though, what you nailed was that why this show is on TV with blatantly obvious computer animated backgrounds. I mean, it was it was phenomenal in how bad it was. Yeah. Like, they why were is this kind on TV? of daring us not to watch? I don't know what happened. There must have been some politics behind the scenes there. Uh, but he was part of the good V. I know, and he was, and he was good enough to turn that down. Look, we mm-hmm. could all use a couple of bucks. Yes. If Michael they, Irons, if they called me bucks. today and said, "Hey, hey Grim you Shea, the, do you want to be in the in the V that we made seven years ago? We'll give you four hundred bucks." I'd say, "Yep, yep." Bye. Put my name all over it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show up. When You're like, oh, man, I don't know. I got to talk to the guy about some white walls. Yeah. No, but uh, but that's because I really don't uh, – I can't afford to have integrity, yeah. whereas Michael Ironside obviously does. He has incredible uh, gravitas, mm-hmm. and even if you – you know, sit back and you say, ah, the the poor guy's just typecast as a tough guy, and he'll never get away from that. Oh. That has given him like well over two hundred some credits on IMDb. <laughs> so, you know, don't cry for him, Argentina. He's been in Hill Street Blues, A Team, Law and Orders, 
Uh, what else? Off the top of your head. Off the top of my head? No, I won't do that. That's oh, like saying, geez. what's the color of the sky without saying blue? <laughs> Quick. <laughs> I don't know. He's... No, uh, the guy guy just uh, did a star turn in Community. Community, yeah. Which I am a huge fan of. And if I had had another 20 minutes with him in that interview, I would have asked him about it. Because I'd love to talk to him about that kind of thing. But, oh, he's, look, he's everywhere. He's still working. I don't know if he has perhaps a gambling addiction that he needs to feed, and that's why he won't retire. But he's clearly well within his rights to keep working. He's got skill, he's got talent, and he's happy that he's recognized but not a leading man. And that, once again, was the whole point. That's what we want to celebrate. We want to remind you who these guys are. Absolutely. Take you on our little tour of what we remember them, and we'll all remember their name. And in this case, we're talking about Richter. Right, Marky, Richter? We're talking about Jester. We're talking about Jester, remember? We're talking about Ham Tyler. Ham Tyler from V. That's right. Greatest. We're talking about uh, old Fuck You, True Detective. Sergeant Ledoux or whatever from Starship Troopers with the fake arm. Yeah, the guy with the the mechanical arm. Yep, Yep, exactly. Came, saved the day. The, The hard... The hard knocks teacher or the second tier bad guy, depending on which movie you get into. Sometimes a little bit of both, sometimes a little bit of neither. Mm-hmm. The point being that Michael Ironside really inhabits and as well as kind of creates these that one guy roles. And all the stories through history, you know, all the archetypes and the Greek tragedies and comedies and... Shakespearean plays have all been stocked with that one guy roles. I mean, like, there's, for every Hamlet, there's a Rosencrantz, and for every knight, there's a squire, and for every Jesus Christ, there's a Pontius Pilate. But we, we as a generation have had the chance to see all of these roles, all of our archetypes and oral traditions and fables and legends form right before us and shared in the exact same presentation with the exact same actors. So because for every time Robert De Niro beats a guy to death on a movie, there's that one guy who played Billy Bats, Frank Vincent, and Every time Jack Nicholson plays the Joker, there's that one guy who plays his lieutenant, Tracy Walter. You know who General Moth is, but who's the guy who played him? Take it away, Star Wars nerds. And so on and so forth. But I think you get what I'm saying here, which is that they deserve a certain amount of respect. They really do, because they are an, they they prop up everything that you can recall right off the top of your head from all of your favorite movies and Michael Ironside well there you go that's that's our love letter to you so thank you Michael Ironside that was a lot of fun that's right and if you don't think it was come and fucking find us Richter <laughs> let's call him out what do you say yeah let's do that <laughs> I'll see you at the party Richter <laughs> Okay, you know it had to end with that line, don't you? Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this.
He's that one guy from The Outer Limits. Uh, he's that one guy from Highlander 2. He's that one guy from the new Batman Adventures. He's uh, No, he's that one guy from JoJo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. Remember that? That doesn't really exist. Yes. Well, he's that one guy from FX, the series. Uh, he's that one guy from Prom Night 2. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.